When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is Carolyn Keel. Carolyn is the host of the podcast Beyond Six Seconds. She helps showcase the great work of entrepreneurs, CEOs, and even media personalities. She focuses on how they built their career and how they overcome obstacles to get where they are today. Carolyn shares her own career story and some best practices as she navigated her way to the position she has today. Her learnings can be applied in so many ways. I love how she articulates her story and how she shares the foundation she built along the way that she leverages today. Finally, you will hear about her passion as an acapella singer. And at the end, I added in a short clip that shows off her talent. So join me in welcoming a fellow podcaster, Carolyn Kill to Stories Connect People podcast. Hello, Carolyn. How are you today? Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. Hi, Polly. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here. And everyone, Carolyn is a fellow podcaster. And so I am so excited to talk uh, to her today. Her podcast is Beyond Six Seconds, and she will talk all about that. We also are going to talk about career stuff. And so uh, she has a career in learning and development, and so we're just going to explore that uh, career journey. It was a little bit unconventional for Carolyn, where she got to um, where she is today, and so I think that there'll be a lot of great learnings um, uh, from that. And so, Carolyn, um, we have a lot to cover, but I also want to make sure that we have time to talk about a passion of yours. Uh, you are an acapella singer, and so I've never met an acapella singer, but I would love to just hear a little bit about that um, and uh, maybe, you know, some of the opportunities that has presented for you. So why don't we start by you just sharing maybe where you grew up and where you live today, and we'll get started from there. Sure. So I grew up in a town called Pleasantville, New York. It really is called Pleasantville. Um, but it is about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour's drive north of New York City. And it's a small, small town. Grew up there. 
went to college in Poughkeepsie, New York. So went uh, north about an hour to uh, go to Vassar College up in Poughkeepsie, moved back to Pleasantville right after college, uh, worked in the area, lived in the area for a while. And then once I got married a couple of years after that, moved with my husband over to New Jersey. So we live now in Bergen County, New Jersey, which is in the northeastern part of the state, but not very far away from where... Um, from where I grew up. So I'm, I've always been in the sort of New York City metro area. Well, I love New York, so I'm a little jealous that you're there. Um, so you have worked for some really great companies and had uh, some really great roles, but I said um, the path to where you are today um, was a little bit unconventional. And so I'm really excited for you to share that. So today you are a training manager at Verizon, but can you um, tell us a little bit about maybe your early career and your background and where did you start out? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in college, I was studying psychology. That was my major at the time. And, you know, as part of the psychology degree, you take a lot of different courses and different focus areas of psychology. So child psych and biopsychology and, um, you know, statistics and, and all the different types of psychology. And, you know, I was very interested in everything that I was studying, but I, you know, and I, I did some internships to kind of explore, like, do I want to work in a clinical setting? Do I want to do research? And, you know, had good experiences, but wasn't quite finding the one thing that I could see myself doing. Mm -hmm. And then in my senior year, I had the opportunity to take a on-campus job in our career development office. And that for me was just like one of my even to this day, one of my very favorite jobs that I've held, um, you know, I had it for the full year. I was an intern there and I got to do a variety of things helping people with their careers. So I designed and taught workshops on internet job searching. I helped with resumes. I kind of helped in the office um, running some of the, the programs there, um, you know, <laughs> to give you an idea of uh, how long ago it was, we had a, a resume referral program, which involved me. Um, calling different employers across the nation and asking if we could fax them the resumes of our <laughs> graduating students. So um, yeah, I was back in in those days of fax machines and um, you know big books. Uh, you know the internet was was very early on in terms of the job searching at the time. So uh, so much has changed in the meantime. But I really loved it, and I and I thought like you know. It, this ties in a way to psychology. At that time, I also heard about this newish field that at the time was called industrial psychology. I think now it's more like industrial organizational or it's it's gone through some name changes, but it was basically psychology for business. So how do you, you know, work with companies, cultures and help cultivate talent and help people just, you know, be the, the best in terms of, um, you know, productive and uh, content and engaged at the work that they did. So I'm like, oh, this sounds this sounds great to me. This is what I want to do. I would love to do like career counseling and things like that. But um, but the advice I was given at the time, because at the time I was a, a senior in college, was well, maybe don't go straight into this field because you haven't actually had like a real job yet. So you might not have a lot of credibility in um, you know becoming you know get going right into career counseling. Like why don't you go and get work experience and then figure out you know, if you still are interested and, you know, use that as part of your background. So I said, okay, that, you know, it sounds good. So I wound up graduating. I had two sort of short 
little jobs right after graduation. And then maybe about a year and a half after graduating, I wound up joining my first really long-term employer where I've still spent the majority of my career overall time-wise. Um, I joined MasterCard and that was in 2000. And um, I joined as an administrative assistant in one of the teams that was doing a lot of e-commerce at the time. And, you know, from there, I just, you know, really gelled well with the team and was always looking for opportunities to grow. So I was fortunate enough to be in positions and have enough, um, you know, mentorship and sponsorship and support and a lot of really good types of work where I could show my abilities and what I could accomplish there, where I was able to get some promotions over the years. And, you know, my my idea of career at the time was, oh, I'm going to get to a, you know, an established big company, and then I'm just going to keep getting promotions, and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, and then that's going to be my idea of career success, is I'm going to get like as high as I can, because that was, I don't know, that was just my idea at the time, and that's what I was hearing a lot of, and it honestly, it sounded good to me as someone who was still relatively new to the the world of of business. So I got promoted in that same team. I was working at an analyst level, so out of the admin track and into the more sort of individual contributor analysis type of, of level. Um, and I got to do a lot of interesting things while I was there. So I was part of a group of former consultants who were sort of doing internal types of consulting at the company. So working with different teams to help them diagnose process issues or challenges they were having. So it, which was which was kind of neat to learn that whole consulting mindset from people who were had done external consulting and now were working inside the company as as full-time employees. So I did some things around new product development processes we were trying to implement. Eventually I was I basically recruited to join another team at the same company to work on enterprise risk management, which was something that was important as the company prepared to go public. We needed to establish these very consistent risk management processes and procedures across the whole company. So that was another promotion for me. I joined that company or that that team and got promoted again on that team. And a lot of what I did was, you know, a lot of project management, building out specific processes, um, like around risk reporting and analysis and communications and a little bit of training. And uh, I think that's really where I started to fall in love with the whole area around employee training and employee communications. Because every time you work on a big project, that's about a lot of change for the organization. In addition to building out what the project is, it's really important to communicate to all the people who are impacted, like, what is this that you're doing? Uh, you know, how does it impact you as an employee? Like, what do I have to do differently? What does it mean for me? Um, how do I do this new thing that you need me to do, whether it's a new process or a new way to uh, get information or a new way to communicate. So that was just really interesting to me. Um, plus, I really love to write. I love to, you know, whether it's articles or presentations. And um, I, at one point, I was writing sort of, sort of like speech writing. So I would create presentations for our executive leaders and then do a lot of very detailed speaker notes or speeches to complement that. So that was something that I was really excited about and got a lot of great experience with. And then after that, I took another promotion to 
be in a new team around data governance and information governance, which um, was uh, something that was very brand new to me, but basically sort of like the risk management. How do we consistently- Yeah, but so important in an organization. So I know that Mm -hmm. was great experience. Yeah. And, you know, because, yeah, it's important to be able to make sure you're using consistent and accurate data and that, you know, it's a lot of systems work. So I did a lot of work in partnership with IT and in partnership with the business areas to really get a full picture of our data and and how it all ties together. Um, But, you know, and at this point- maybe about, I was at the company for 13 years. So at the point where I started this, the data governance job, I had probably been there for eight or nine years. I was in that role, that that final role at MasterCard for about five years. And I realized while I was in it that, you know, I wasn't getting the same types of opportunities to do a lot of the communications and training parts of the job that I liked, because it was just a different type of role. Um, that required a lot more. It was more like a business analysis type of role with, you know, a little bit of communications and training here and there. And I knew at that point that I was very interested in communications and training, and I wanted to gear my career into that direction. Um, I came to that realization pretty quickly, but it was much more challenging to actually make that pivot. So I spent a couple years really trying to, you know, just put in a lot of put in a, a lot of different activities and just a, a lot of different ways to try to re, retool my my career and and kind of redirect myself. And uh, yeah, it, it was uh, quite a bit of a challenge. I think that is so important for people to be able to articulate their career story just as they are looking for a position and to be able to, you know, highlight how your career's evolved and what have been, you know, what are some of the important things along the way that you uh, learned or that you learned or picked up or um, that, you know, has helped build the foundation. I think that you have done a really great job uh, and, you know, being in recruiting, I, I, it's what I love. I love, uh, you know, learning about people and what they do and their I love the way that you've um, articulated your story and, again, um, how you've uh, shown, you know, that foundation that that you've kind of taken through each of the roles. I think that's great. Great. Thank you. So talk about, so you were, you know, obviously in a great company and having a lot of um, opportunities and different opportunities and, and growth can, you know, doesn't always have to go from, you know, being promoted. It can be, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for, um, for um, you know, moving laterally in a role and, and getting different opportunities. But so when did, when you decided to make the pivot in your career, and I like that you didn't, you know, that, that you took a little while to, you know, find opportunities to, to build on, to build towards that. Um, but talk about, you know, when you realized that you were going to change careers and what did that look like? And, you know, what were some of the key things that you thought about um, and, you know, kind of made sure that was in place for you to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So when I had the realization that I wanted to change careers, I started working under, you know, the the sort of advice that was very common at that time that that I was getting was, well, if you want to make a career pivot like that, 
you should really try to do it at the company where you're working because it'll be much easier for you because they know you and you don't have to learn a new company or industry and and you can just sort of either make a lateral move or or a, a move up or or whatever direction into you know another department and it'll be much easier because you're you know you're kind of a known entity as they say um, so that's really where I focused a lot of my efforts um, obviously up applying to a lot of internal positions that were coming up that were in um, learning and development or, or employee training, as it's sometimes called, mm -hmm. and and internal communications as well. I was sort of focused on both, which are two separate tracks, but it's like I know I really like these two types of work. So I'll focus my efforts on that. So, but um, you know, but I had to do a lot more than just apply and and hope that I would get an interview and get a job. So in addition to that, um, I think I know probably the thing I spent the most time on was um was networking really. Mm -hmm. So I spent many, many months, probably going into years, focusing internally within the company, just really getting to getting to know or making sure that people knew me who were in types of roles or types of teams internally that I was interested in. So it wasn't necessarily me meeting and say like, hey, I, you know, I are you hiring in this area? Like that usually doesn't doesn't uh, turn out too well if if you don't have a prior relationship with anyone if you're just meeting them. But I would spend time, you know, kind of looking at the company and saying, oh, you know, that person does kind of an interesting type of work um, around communications, like for business. And you know, I don't really know a lot about what they do, but maybe I could just sit down and learn a little bit more about you know what their team does or what their department does and what kind of skills they look for when they're hiring new people without necessarily asking for a job because one they probably didn't have a job open at the time and two I wasn't even sure if if I would be a good match because I didn't know I didn't really know what was involved so that was a you know I spent a lot of time just talking with you know informally having informational interviews with people all across the organization uh sometimes they would refer me to other people within the organization that I could meet with who they thought might be working in an area that I was interested in and um I started to track all of this on on an excel spreadsheet actually because it gets a little hard once you do a lot of that in a relatively short amount of time to keep it all straight so I would track you know the person's name what department they're in, when, you know, when did I reach out to them first? Like, when did we meet or have a conversation? And what was the follow-up? And did they refer me to anyone? So sort of like building my own like sales database, except it's not sales, it's for my own internal networking and relationship building. So, you know, I did a lot of that. And I think that was really helpful for me, even though informational interviewing is not job interviewing, but it still helps, it helped me get practice talking more about myself and my skills and my interests in like a relatively short amount of time, just trying sure. to get that across. Um, as well as kind of getting feedback from people who, you know, many people were, you know, as, as honest as they could be about, you know, my skills. Um, did I have any gaps that I needed to fill? Were there certain experiences that I needed that I was missing? Or they would kind of give me the inside information about what it's really like to work in in a department like this. So, um, so I found that to be very interview, uh, very interesting and helpful. Um, although, you know, at the time it didn't necessarily feel like it was. And that's sort of the caveat here is that, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here like years later working at Verizon in a training job that I really enjoy. And I'm looking back and I can see how everything came together. But, but at the time, 
you really don't know if anything's working. Like a lot of the time you just, you know, so obviously, and I'll get to that point of the story, I didn't wind up making a lateral move within the company. I did wind up having to leave the company to take on my training role. So, you know, I'm having these conversations. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm not really making the the connection into the next team or, you know, I'm building these relationships and then a job opens up and I'll bid on it and, you know, I'll get really far and then, you know, the, the job gets canceled or it, it gets changed and they need some other role or it just, you know, goes to someone else. So I, I say that because I feel like when people are in the thick of job searching, it it can be a very discouraging time. You know, things were very competitive then. They're certainly very competitive now in terms of the job market. And um, a lot of times it's hard to see if if what you're doing is the quote unquote right thing that you should be doing. And uh, I just say that because I'm now that I'm on the other end, I can look back and say like, oh, it actually um, it actually all came together, but it may not always feel like that. So I guess my advice is to just, uh, you know, stay optimistic and always stay keep learning and keep asking for feedback. And even when you get difficult feedback from people, it it can still be helpful if it's, uh, you know, if it's honest, because it can help you make yourself into a stronger candidate. So, I mean, that's, a, that's my uh, long speech on networking. I did a lot of other things as well. I kind of, you know, talked a lot about the networking. Um, oh, but I will say about the, going back to the spreadsheet I was talking about, I think what kind of led to my frustration is over the months, you know, I'm tracking every single interaction or every single person I'm meeting that's new. And I think I got to like row 100. And then I just started to be like, seriously, like (laughs) I have a hundred of these things. And like, I'm still, I still don't have the job that I want. So I'm like, oh my goodness. So, um, you know, but still, but looking back, I know it was a really valuable experience for me to do because geez, if I'm meeting and having a hundred interactions with people over the you know, this is a period of years that I was doing at this point um, that only makes me stronger as as a candidate and gives me better insights into what I need to do to really strengthen um, my own experiences. Well, I think it's an excellent tip. And it's kind of like, you know, like job search strategy, I always tell people to very detailed, you know, be very detailed at tracking, you know, their their activities and and all of that. And so it's very similar to that. And I coach people all the time on their job search and, you know, changing careers even and, and things like that. But do you, and, and some of this you've uh, talked about, you know, certainly, you know, tracking it would be one of them, but do you have a couple of tips from your experience that, you know, you went through that you think would be helpful for others? Yeah, definitely. So this is advice that, um, probably won't come as a big surprise to anyone because I think it's a common bit of advice, but maybe not one that we necessarily think of is that you should definitely build your network and build your relationships before you need them. It's it's very difficult to be in a position where you desperately need something and not have, you know, those strong relationships with people who can potentially help you. It's, you know, it can be done, of course, you can build from there, but it's just so much easier and just honestly, a lot less pressure on yourself and a lot more fun sometimes to start building up that network. You know, when you're, when you, when you have a job where you're secure and content and, you know, maybe you're just, maybe you're not even thinking of, of leaving at any point in time, but, um, you know, you kind of approach it as, as a learning experience. I mean, you know, I work in training, so like everything is a learning experience uh, for me, but, um, you know, and also because it takes time. 
I feel like there, of course, there are some situations where you might just luckily or randomly meet the right person and they've got exactly the right job that they can connect you with and it works right away. But for most people, networking is kind of a long game. So it's not like a quick fix. It's not, I'll just call up my friends and they'll get me a job. I mean, for most of us, it's not like that. So it takes time, which means, you know, which is another reason why you should start early and uh, and take time. And sometimes I compare it to having a garden. You know, the day that you put the seeds in the ground is not the day that you get to eat the fruit. And when you're putting the, the seeds in there, you know, things may happen. You may you know, some of those seeds may never sprout or or like a big rainstorm could come and flood out half your seeds and then you have to start over. So you need to build in that time and really nurture and and cultivate your your network and your relationships and be in a position where you have something to give to people. And it doesn't have to be anything huge. It can just be information or um, you can listen to someone or you can share helpful advice or or even just you know, I did a lot of my networking on LinkedIn once I was, you know, in the future when I kind of stopped doing more of the internal networking, I had moved on and wanted to expand beyond the companies where I was. So a lot of it is just watching people's posts. And if something's interesting to you, make a comment on it that's relevant. And, and you know, in that way, it feels very natural. It doesn't feel like you're trying to force yourself into a relationship with, with another person. It's like you're having a chat and a conversation. You have common interests. So. I love LinkedIn and I can't, I mean, I use it, you know, all the time. I'm very, very active on LinkedIn and it surprises me when people are like, oh, you know, I don't really get on LinkedIn. What? (laughs) It is, it is, it is like a, like must have in business. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people just don't really know how to use it. It has become a little bit less of like, the, re- the online resume repository and more of an interactive where people are yep. sharing, you know, first they start sharing business related things. And then there are some people who share more like personal related stories. And, you know, there's not really any rules necessarily for LinkedIn. It's whatever your comfort level is and wherever you are in your career, whatever you want to share. But um, it's always good for engagement. Well, thank you for all of that. And I am going to uh, pivot us to the podcast. And so I feel like a lot of um, your background and what you shared uh, led you to starting your podcast, it sounds like. I mean, it seems like you're, you know, so interested in, um, you know, people and that type of thing. And I'm sure those hundred or so interviews help prepare you to be interviewing guests. And um, I love your podcast is kind of similar to Stories Connect People uh, podcast and that, you know, you're interviewing people that are, um, you know, making a difference and and learning about, you know, things that they've accomplished and maybe overcome obstacles and, you know, something uh, that they're, uh, that they have a passion around. And um, so I would love for you just to share a little bit about that, like what got you interested in podcasting to begin with? Really, my interest in podcasting started in about 2016. So I started it in part as a creative project for myself, something you know interesting to do outside of work, where I could, you know, get, continue to meet people and and learn about them. And it it actually kind of is related to my my other hobby, which was the acapella singing. So in 2016, um, I was 
with my singing group, we had reunited for the holiday season and we were singing a lot of, you know, some holiday songs at, at different public places. And we had some other songs in our, our repertoire as well. And one of the songs that we used to sing was, um, you know, the song Hallelujah, which was written by Leonard Cohen. And sadly, around that time, the end of 2016, Leonard Cohen passed away. So related to that, one of the members of my singing group said, oh, you know, there's this really she sent out a link and said, um, this is really great podcast that um, is called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. And it talks about Leonard Cohen, the whole writing of the song Hallelujah. And, you know, since we've sung it for years and are still performing it now, I think it'd be interesting for people to listen to. So that was actually my introduction to podcasting. I really? Before. That is such a cool story. Yeah. I, I, like, I didn't even really know what it was. I'm like, okay, I'll listen to this. And you know, I, and then I kind of got hooked on the Revisionist History podcast um, because, you know, Malcolm Gladwell just covers so many interesting different types of, of topics and he presents it in a very unique and, um, and very great, it's great storytelling and a lot of research and uh, work goes into that. So I started listening to that and then many, many months passed after that. I'm still listening to different podcasts. And then I started to think, I think it was around the Towards the end of 2017, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not singing as much um, because I had moved on at that time to Verizon, and it was just because of the location of the office, it was harder for me to get into the city to sing because we into New York City because that's mainly where we sung. So I was kind of taking a break from singing at that time. I said, you know, I need a new creative project. You know, since I've been a cappella singing, I know how to work audio editing software. I've used microphones. So I know a little about the technology. So maybe I could teach myself the rest about podcasting a little bit and then, you know, just try out my own podcast. And that would be kind of cool. So um, I actually made the decision very quickly that said, like, I, I had an idea. I'm going to try a podcast. I've got the idea and I'm just going to learn it and go. So every day I would learn a little bit, something new, like a little bit about how. Well, you know, as a podcaster, like how the hosting works and what kind of files I need. and what kind <laughs> There's of so much that goes into it. <laughs> there was a lot. So it's like I just took a little bit each day. And then at the same time, I was spending time on LinkedIn, just sort of, you know, I, I had met, met friends on there who I met through LinkedIn and got to know a little bit about their stories. And a lot of them had really fascinating stories that I only knew because I chatted with them, you know, on, on messaging and on the phone. But um, but they weren't really posting about them. So I, you know, you get on LinkedIn, and I sometimes it's like a lot of the same people talking about like their stories, and which is great. But I sometimes I'm like I, I think this is like the same like twenty people who I hear from, and like I know there are other people who have done really amazing things because I talk to them offline. So I said, well, you know, I'll pick out some of my friends from LinkedIn, and and I had some friends from my my offline life as well. And say like, hey, you know, can I interview you for this new podcast that I'm starting and just learn a little bit more about, um, and I made it focused. So if they were working on an interesting project, I'm like, could you tell me more about like, you know, the work that you do with robotics and drones? Or could you tell me about the volunteer work that you do with an orphanage in India? Things like that. So it was a bit focused, but, um, but that definitely helped with the conversation. And I figured, you know, if I asked my friends, then like, they won't be mad at me if I forget to hit record or like it doesn't work and I have to do it again. So that's the other reason I started with my friends. And so, but, and then I just, um, you know, recorded the episodes in January, 2018, I published the first one and was doing 
publishing new episodes every other week. And then I found that people started reaching out to me and saying, you know, I heard your episode with this person, um, either I'd like to be on, or I know someone who would be great for your show. Why don't you interview them? And honestly, for the past three years, it's, it's kind of been that. It's kind yeah. of, it hasn't stopped. So, Well, um, tell us the podcast name um, and how you came up with that beyond six seconds. So what's the story behind that? Sure. So actually coming up with a name was one of the last things that I did. I kind of had everything else figured out and I was really kind of conflicted and not, I just wasn't sure about what the name should be. Um, and I came up with this concept of beyond six seconds and, um, uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this because uh, you work in recruiting, but I got it from the study, I think it was the ladders or some some company had done that um, recruiters only look at your resume for about six seconds before they make a judgment as to whether or not you're good for a job or which which pile your resume gets sorted into. So whether or not that statistic is how true that is, and, and honestly, my no comment. Had nothing, had nothing to do with recruiting, but it's like, listen, I just need a name. And going beyond those six seconds sounds like kind of a cool name. And that's sort of what I'm doing. I'm sitting with people and giving them time to talk about their story. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the people I interview, you know, sometimes it takes a little time. So they're not always the most you know, they don't always have the story down perfectly in pat. So they're not like professional public speakers. They're not necessarily on like the podcast interview circuit where they can kind of get the talking points out. I actually kind of like the the storytelling that's a little bit, it's a, you know, a little bit messy and a little bit candid and vulnerable um, and not so shiny and glossy and perfect. So that's really actually what I look for. I really like understanding, you know, I see, you know, where did you start? What did you encounter along the way? Um, and then how did you get to where you are today? Um, so that's that's kind of where I got the name from and what the spirit is behind that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I have said to so many people, oh, it's your first pod your first podcast interview. I love it. <laughs> I love mm -hmm. interviewing people for their first podcast. Yeah, it's great. Well, um, I think that um, your uh, theme or the whatever you call it is uh, it's so great and so rich in terms of just opportunity and so great to be able to uh, share other people's story or help them be able to share their story. So, so what keeps you motivated? So you're doing it for three years now. Is that right? This is you're in your third year. So what keeps you motivated and uh, still after, you know, all this time? Yeah. So what keeps me motivated? I mean, it's a good question because as you know, podcasting, it, it, it's fun, but it takes a lot of work. It takes more work than you'll ever realize before you start doing it yourself. And um, and there's always more that you can do. So, um, but for me, I I treat it largely as my creative hobby and and my passion. So, I just really enjoy meeting and, and getting to know the stories of of people who I wouldn't normally get to to hear about otherwise. And you know, the motivation changes over time. So I would say maybe at this time, maybe in 2019, because well, 2020 kind of upended and changed a lot of things. But maybe the year before that, I was really kind of focused on like, oh, you know, I want to get like more big name guests on, but not just big names to have big names, like big name guests who like I'm either fans of or I admire their work. And, and wouldn't that be really cool and exciting? So I got a handful of, you know, relatively you know, well-known or quote unquote famous guests on. And, and that for me was just like, 
phenomenal. Just, you know, having a podcast is like one of the greatest excuses to call up and talk to your your idols and the people that you admire. <laughs> like, and isn't it incredible that people say yes? I mean, yes. I have I have mo- I mean, most of my guests now, you know, come to me, but, but I do reach out to people as well. And yep. I, I haven't had anyone say no. And so it's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. The no's are, are very, very rare because I do reach out to people as well and people reach out to me, but I uh, there's never a shortage of, of people who want to come on and, and talk about their stories. So that's really phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, in 2020, obviously when the, you know, when we all kind of went into lockdown and uh, as of, as of the rec- this recording, we're still sort of, we're well, mostly still in lockdown. I mean, I am, I've been working from home since like March. Yeah, same here in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. And it just became different with, you know, all the things going on, um, you know, the the racial injustices and and social injustices. And it just, uh, my interest just sort of changed. It's not that I became necessarily more focused on different types of topics. It's just, I felt that more types of stories were, were more important to amplify. So whereas in the past, I might want to have just a a celebrity or a famous person talking about like their experiences and whatever, you know, new, new book they're selling or whatever it is. This is like, I want to hear from people who I don't normally get to hear from who are still doing awesome things. Like a lot of the people I talk to are, are starting businesses, but um, you know, I have an episode, episode 120 that's uh, coming out next is about um, a, a woman who's starting, she started a a beauty company where she makes her own lipstick and it's very socially conscious. So she donates a percentage of her revenues to, um, to nonprofits who are doing really socially conscious work in the community. And um, it's, you know, very ethically sourced and she, and she didn't have any experience in the beauty industry. She works in a totally different field full time, but this was just something that she was passionate about and wanted to do. And, you know, those are stories. It's like I would never hear about that because it's someone at right. the very beginning of their business, and it's exciting for me. And it's like, oh, I then I get to see them grow and change and how things evolve. It's like, oh, I actually talked to that person when they just started out, and it's so cool to see what they're doing. Yeah, that that is really cool. Well, um, that I will absolutely continue to follow the great work that you have going um, with your podcast. And um, I am sure that it will be inspiring, very inspiring uh, for me as well, listening to those. Is there anything else that you want to share about your podcast before I ask about your other passion? About the podcast, yeah. I mean, you know, I I certainly love if if people listen. Um, you know, one of my favorite things with podcasting is getting feedback from people who listen and either say like, you know, I loved your episode; it really um, resonated with me. The mm-hmm. types of messages or the types of stories that your guests were telling, or I've even had certain people make connections and build business relationships like outside with some of the guests that I've had. So it's kind of like building a little network within it. So. Um, so yeah, it's been exciting, and yeah, at, at the end of the show, I'll I'll give you the uh, everybody the link so that they can check it out. But yeah, I'd love if you if you listen. And yeah, that would be that. That's really great. Well, I have never known a acapella singer, and it takes some incredible talent to do that. So, how did you even get started? Um, and maybe you know what are some of the opportunities that you've had um, brought to you as a result and 
if I may dare, and I don't know if you would even do this, but could yeah. you sing a few lines? <laughs> oh, I don't. I could probably maybe I have to. I have to think of a song that isn't uh, you know that's in the public domain, so I can sing <laughs> something. You can republish it. Oh, oh! I guess that would. I guess that uh, you're right. You're right. I, mean, I, I think a Christmas Carol that I know is like not in the public domain, copyrighted. No, that is absolutely right. I didn't even think about that. So we have to be very careful about that. Um, well, tell us the story. Okay, so I started do singing a cappella in college. I mean, I was a singer before that in school in like choruses and women's choirs and different types. But we just we didn't have acapella groups in our high school or middle school. So when I got to college, I discovered this whole new thing called acapella groups. And it was pretty, it was pretty popular and pretty big at the college that I went to. And this was all before like the move, the pitch perfect movies and the sing off that was on TV. Like, so it was sort of before the, the, the public, you know, the public facing Renaissance of acapella where like everybody Start, suddenly heard of what it was, it was, but but it was still popular on the in colleges. So I, in my freshman year, I auditioned for all the different groups and got into uh, one group at Vassar called the Night Owls, which sang a lot of like sort of jazz standards and favorites, but also some pop music. So it was a whole mixture of things. And I was in that group for four years, and you know had some really amazing experiences through that. Um, I have to say, I have to really credit my acapella singing with some of the really the, the greatest opportunities that I've had, not just as a musician, but probably just in my life in terms of where I got to sing. So, um, you know, probably one of the most. So it's funny. I so I joined the group, I guess it was probably September by the time I passed the audition and went through all that. And then in October, we sang at a fundraiser that the college was doing in like Avery Fisher Hall in Lincoln Center in New, in New York City, like the next month. It's like, wow. oh, now I'm singing in Lincoln Center. And I've just been here like a month. So um, that was the start of a lot of exciting things that we got to sing. But my most ex uh, exciting experience for that would have to be where I sang at the, um, at the presidential pre-inauguration parade. So not the actual inauguration, but the festivities before that, like in the morning uh, for the second inauguration of uh, Bill Clinton. So oh, um, I, we got to go down to Washington, D.C. and in January. And it was, uh, I remember <laughs> we were outside the whole time and it was very, very cold and we were bundled up, but um, but it was cool. We got, so we got to sing as people paraded by when, so we got, you know, as everybody kind of went on their way to go to the official inauguration. And that was just like a, a that was an extraordinary experience. It was just so much fun. Sure sounds like it. Yeah. So, you know, that, and, you know, and we, we had a lot of other cool experiences. We got to travel a little bit. We would go to other colleges and sing with their groups and then, um, you know, do a lot of really cool things like that. And then when I graduated, um, you know, went to work for a couple of years, decided I missed acapella singing and auditioned for another group based in New York City called the Metropolitones. And I sang with them for many, many years. Um, that's actually the group that I referenced in my Leonard Cohen story earlier. Oh. That's the same group. And um, had fantastic opportunities singing with them. And probably my biggest uh, thrill with with that group was singing at, um, we we learned the uh, Star Spangled Banner, the, the national anthem mm -hmm. so that we could sing at sporting events. And the biggest sporting event we sang at was in a giant stadium in uh, in New Jersey. Here, uh, we sang for um, for a professional football game, and it was 
really cool because it was, I'm saying giant stadium. It's like, hasn't that been MetLife Stadium for 10 years? Yes, it has, because we sang at the last professional football game in giant stadium before it was <laughs> torn down and, and created, they built MetLife Stadium here. So it was Jets versus Bengals. It was Again, freezing cold. I think that's a theme. I'm always cold outside when I'm singing, but it was amazing. It was so much fun to like be back in, you know, you're like there in the green room getting ready and then you go out on the, on the field and it's just, I don't know, it, it's, I can't even describe it. It's incredible. Just the size of the crowd. I don't know, it's like 78,000 or 80,000 people. God, who that's like incredible. Yelling and cheering because it's the national anthem and everybody excited and um, yeah, it, it was his thrill. And then, you know, then we got to go back and we got to watch the game afterwards. So it's stuff like that. That's just one of many cool experiences. And it's everything, you know, running the whole gamut from singing at a tiny little club in front of five people at, you know, somewhere in like the East Village to like these huge venues and everything in between. So it's been a ton of fun. Well, that just sounds, I mean, your talent has to be incredible to even be able to do it. Um, but, um, okay, I won't ask you to sing. Maybe if I think of something, I'll, if I can think of a song to sing, I, I'll, I can send you a separate recording and get edited in if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Well, Carolyn, it has been so great to have you as a guest on Stories Connect People podcast. I loved hearing your um, own personal story and your career journey and learning more about your podcast beyond six seconds. I can't wait to continue to follow you doing that. And thank you for the great advice that you shared with our listeners and um, the interesting stories behind your performing, uh, your performances as well. I want to make sure our listeners know how to describe, how to subscribe to your podcast or follow you on social media. So why don't you share that? Absolutely. So you can find all of my podcast episodes on the web at beyond6seconds.net. Um, that's with the number six. Um, you can also find me on social media. I'm on Instagram at beyond6seconds. And my Twitter is beyond6s, just the letter S. And um, But if you go to the website, it should have links to all of my social media profiles. And then on LinkedIn, I am Carolyn Keel. Um, I don't think there's that many different Carolyn Keels on there, but you'll you'll see I'm the I'm the one in learning and development. I think I'm the only one who matches that profile there. So yeah, feel free to connect. Um, say that you heard me on the uh, Stories Connect People podcast, and I'd I'd love to to connect with you. And absolutely appreciate everyone who wants to listen to my podcast. You can find it at the website or on your favorite favorite podcast player by searching Beyond Six Seconds. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, Carolyn. And it has been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. It's been wonderful being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for days of old lang syne.
Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.